welcome to the front porch, or I should say, welcome back to the front porch. I know it's been a while uh, since we've uh, connected, but hey, you know, things happen, folks. Life happens, but it's good to be back, and I am really excited to be back kicking off this season of, of podcasting with my special guest on the porch this morning. You guys know him, Jarvis Williams, the doctor. Welcome, brother. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on the porch. Oh, man. So I'm trying to think the last time I actually saw you in person. I know it was at a Just Gospel conference, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was, man, I think it was 2019, 2018, maybe Atlanta uh, was the last last time I was at the Just Gospel. I think you guys had one the following year in D.C., Yeah. but the, the last time we've seen each other face to face, I think was in Atlanta. Seems like that, years that, ago. That was it. Seems like a long time ago. Man, where, where has the time gone? As a matter of fact, this is November already mm. in uh, 2021, and I'm trying to think, when what happened to 2021? Mm. <laughs> mm. Time is flying. They say it happens as you get older, Jarvis. Now, I know I'm way older than you, but is time flying for you too, brother? You know, time is flying. I am. Uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm 43 now, and it seems like yesterday I was 23. And my son is now a teenager, and uh, he'll be in high school next year and, and in college, Lord willing, uh, five years from now. And it's just uh, time just zips by so quickly, it seems, as you get, get a little older and as your kids get older. <laughs> this is interesting. So you're 43, right? And yep. um, so, yeah, man, I don't even want to say this. This is crazy. So if you're 43 this year, you turned 43 yeah. in 2021, yeah. right? And so, yeah, man, you were born the year my wife and I got married. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so if time is, is flying for you, man, it's like, you know what it's doing. I can't even see it. It's going back. So, <laughs> you have no sympathy for me, do you? <laughs> no. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a good friend of mine uh, recently, and I said he's he's probably I think sixty seven, and I said, you know, I said half of my life is probably almost over, and he looked at me, and he said, I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. I'm sixty seven years old, and I, so I I stopped feeling sorry for myself and and went on about my business. He's like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> That's right. Which, which, so this is, this is going to be interesting then. So on, on the previous podcast, you, um, a you were asked a question about, um, about music, right? Mm. Your, mm. your favorite band. So, do you, <laughs> so this is for Keith Plummer, the Dr. Plummer, right? So yeah, do you yeah. listen, listen to jazz, uh, at all? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A okay, little bit. So traditional. Uh oh, now here's where Keith comes in. Traditional or contemporary? Well, here's the thing. I'm not as educated enough to know the difference. I, I like I like Miles Davis. I like uh, some of the old school guys. Uh, Duke is it Duke Wellington. Duke uh, Ellington. Duke, Duke Ellington. Listen, okay. uh, I like those guys. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so the the smooth jazz type stuff like Kenny G and that kind of stuff. You, you, oh yeah, I like Kenny G. I like Kenny G. Yeah. Well, you played well. You played it safe, man. This time because. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you went with both 
with both with both kinds of jazz. Uh huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, so you you went to Miles and Duke, of course, that's traditional classicalized man, but Kenny G's more traditional. I think um, Plummer, Doctor Plummer, likes the the, the contemporary uh, smooth type jazz, and uh, one of the professors at Karen, she's mm. she's a classical traditional jazz artist and so we went through a whole thing on um on twitter about that i was trying to catch you up jarvis but you played both sides of the road <laughs> well here's the thing i i'm not i'm not musically sophisticated whatsoever so uh i i like what catches my eye in the moment of hearing it and uh you know just i was flipping through some of the jazz stations one day and i thought oh i like this oh i like that and and it just so happened that it was uh, Duke and and Miles and and so yeah, but also you know I'm uh, I, I like Kenny G as well though I I grew up in the '90s and so Kenny G I think was pretty hot around oh, the yeah. '90s oh, yeah. he was coming oh, on yeah. the scene, yeah yeah oh yeah man it's it's interesting I just found out a, an interesting fact about Miles Davis that I did not know um, while reading Cicely Tyson's uh, autobiography just as I am. Mm. And they were they were once married. Did you know that? I did not know that. Ain't that crazy, man? It, mm. I said what? She, mm. So yeah, man. She was once married to Miles Davis. She actually, I, I mean, she really loved that guy from from the from the autobiography, man. So yeah. I mean, so yeah. you had man some of the you have the, I mean, the best of, of of both mm. art forms, man. Mm. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, man, I didn't know. So, okay, okay. We didn't come on here to talk about that now, did we? But it was cool. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> Family doing okay and everything, man. Doing well, well, yeah. Yeah, my wife is well, son is well. Uh, by God's kindness and, 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 and grace, we, we haven't been been ill during this uh, very difficult season. So we're fortunate. My son's flourishing in, in school. Wife's flourishing in her work. We're flourishing in our local church. We have a great local church that we love and we serve. And it's a joy to see my wife and my son both flourish in the local church Amen. context. And yeah, we're very fortunate. Amen. Yeah, and I and I, I do this on purpose. We talk and have a good time for the first couple of minutes because, you know, um, people, I think people really, I think today, it, it, more than any time in the season in my Christian life, it, it, we need to really people need to understand that people are humans, mm -hmm. <laughs> real people, mm -hmm. real lives, yeah. real likes, real dislikes, especially mm -hmm. a person like yourself, who's a professor mm -hmm. and, um, and you are, you are an author. And so I want folks to say, well, this is, this is Jarvis now. I mean, I know you, we love his work. We love what he does. Uh, mm -hmm. he's a, he's a good learned man. But he's a man, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, flesh and bone, and so, uh, mm -hmm. and he likes both kinds of jazz. He won't be committed to that, but that's okay. <laughs> won't make a commitment. That's all right, man. That's all right. So, Jarvis, we got you on today, Doctor Williams, mm -hmm. to talk about redemptive kingdom diversity, mm -hmm. a biblical theology of the people of God. Your most recent, most recent book. I think it it actually hit the hit the stands, as they say, with September. Is that right? Yep, uh, September the 28th. I think it's been out now a little over a month and a, a few days. Now, look, people don't know why you and I are in November trying to do this. They wouldn't. I'm going to go ahead and tell them, Jarvis. We, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. Look, folks, we tried to get up on the porch back in August. But both Dr. Williams and myself, 
Our IT skills are horrible. <laughs> they are the product of the fall, aren't they? <laughs> oh my goodness. Adam Adam is all in it, man. <laughs> and so finally, after well, this is a month and a half, we're we're on and and we're hoping this works. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so we had a plan we had it worked out. We were planning on coming just at the time the book was gonna get we had it all worked out, all scheduled. But we didn't we didn't consider our IT skills at the time. So so the book's been out now a month and a half. So now so how how's it going in, in terms of uh response? What's been your response and have you, you know since the book's been out now a month or so? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I, I, I've been encouraged by the uh, amount of interest that there is in the book. Uh, at the moment, you know, I think the book is getting a lot of traction. I think uh, it's doing very well in terms of in terms of sales. Uh, I've gotten some some feedback from some people um, at the at the personal level who've read the book, and they've been very encouraged encouraging about the impact it's made on them at the moment i haven't seen any any academic reviews of the book or or popular level reviews i think once the book makes its rounds and people start writing reviews of it i have a i'll have a better feel for uh the the variety of uh, of of reactions that are, are coming at the book but based on the initial feedback i've gotten from people uh, based on the reaction i've received by going to uh, to university campuses and speaking, I've been very encouraged. And I think, I think one reason why the book has um, has a lot of interest is because I'm I'm simply trying to give uh, the people of God a biblical and theological way forward that seeks to 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 help us think about how we should engage in in the current conversation related to race and racism and, and ethnicity and ethnic division in a way that takes seriously the historical reality, mm-hmm. takes seriously the impact uh, that racism uh, historically of the past has on the present, but then also offers a biblical and theological and redemptive way forward to bring as many uh, ethnically diverse image bearers around scripture, around the gospel and the power of the spirit to go forward in seeking to love God and love neighbor better. And I, I really I really think that uh, although you have you have people who are uh, who are resistant to such a vision both on the left and on the right, I do think there are a lot of people of goodwill who genuinely want to do what is right as it relates to this conversation. They want to do it in a way that is is faithful to the scriptures, faithful to the gospel. And and I'm trying to offer a, a path forward to do that. And I think I think there are a lot more people who want that than there are who don't. Although the voices that don't want that are, are loud, I think the voices that do want that um, are 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 the majority. And and a lot of folks are just you know anxious about what that might look like. So I think the book has given people some biblical and theological language to help them say, you know what. Uh, I might not agree with all the nuance, or we might not even agree on all all the methods, but we should all be able to agree that this is a biblical and theological conversation that the people yeah. of God should go should lean into and not retreat from. Interesting, Jarvis, because um, yeah, it's a biblical theological conversation, 
And um, the, the way the book is set out, <clears throat> and folks who, who, who will get it will notice this if they've had any experience at all with Bible survey type books, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's an Old Testament survey, New Testament <clears throat> survey, or just a complete biblical Bible survey, you, you chart your course book by book of the, mm -hmm. from the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, why, why did you do that? As opposed, why, why did you go, yeah, Genesis down through? Was yeah. there, that was intentional. I know what, well, you did it. So yeah, wh why'd you choose that, that, uh, that style? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I did it that way because what I wanted to do was uh, help people understand that a biblical theme, not, not the primary biblical theme, but a biblical it's theme. It's important, yeah. Woven throughout scripture is this idea of uh, what I'm calling redemptive kingdom diversity. And I wanted them to see that from the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I wanted to demonstrate, uh, make the argument that, that our modern day problems because of racism and the modern construct of race, that that is a problem that is antithetical to what God intended in the garden. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, the race that is talked about, as you know, is the human race. And then once sin enters creation uh, and devastates humanity's relationship with God, humanity's relationship with fellow human beings, and humanity's relationship with creation, then sin becomes a, a not only are we conceived in sin, and not only do we commit acts of sin, but sin is also a cosmic power that enslaves the entire creation mm -hmm. as well as individuals. And, and so one of the things I wanted to show was is that it has always been God's design from the foundation of the world to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation in Christ. And that redemption includes vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption. Vertically, that God restores our relationship with himself through Christ. Uh, horizontally, God restores humanity's relationship with one another through Christ. And then, and then cosmically, God is restoring the entire creation. There's a new Jerusalem that is coming, and, and, all, and that has begun, begun to be inaugurated right now in Christ in part, but it's not yet fully realized. And so I wanted to show that uh, from Genesis to Revelation, showing them how God creates, showing the, the, uh, the audience how when sin enters creation, God doesn't, uh, or, or God doesn't give up on creation, but rather he unfolds his redemptive plan Genesis 3.15, uh, the promise to, to crush the seed of the serpent by means of, of the seed of the woman. And I want to trace that motif as well throughout the, the Old Testament narrative. And then showing how that is pointing to God's redemptive plan in Jesus all along. And that in Christ Jesus, when Jesus enters this creation and lives a perfect life and, and lives as a real human being, a, a, a Jewish God-man, and dies on the cross and resurrects from the dead, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God promised to restore that was lost in the garden, and he fulfills it for Jews and Gentiles. And he gives us the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit so that we can love God, love neighbor, live as the transformed people of God in the here and now, right now, in a real world with real people, with real brokenness and real pain, and, uh, and be marks of this vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption that God has accomplished in Jesus as we live in spirit-empowered love for one another and for our neighbors. 
So I wanted to outline that that is a biblical and theological theme that is quite strong throughout uh, the Bible. And then I wanted to, 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 to take that biblical and theological analysis and apply it in the end to specific issues related to race, racism, ethnic division, as well as to other matters pertaining to Christian living. And I thought uh, one of the best ways to, 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 to help uh, Christians to see this is by just doing the Bible survey and, and tracing a theme, namely redemptive kingdom diversity, throughout the whole biblical narrative uh, in order to help folks understand that this is fundamentally a biblical and theological conversation. And I also wanted, quite honestly, I wanted to to show that what I'm putting forth, and frankly what I've always put forth, is redemptive. That it is, it is rooted in the image of God, it's rooted in uh, Jesus' wrath-bearing death for our sins, and it's rooted in his victorious resurrection from the dead and the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. And I thought, I thought the best way to do to, to make that argument is to, to show that unfolding from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, and <clears throat> so you, you mentioned the, the tri-perspective, tri <laughs> for a little bit of frame there. Um, cosmological, vertical, and horizontal. Mm. So while, while people will not have an issue with the cosmological redemption or vertical, the issue that you hone in on that you're arguing for, which is the real dilemma, is, is the horizontal. Mm. It's, it's, mm. it's what happens between people when, when they come under the influence of the gospel, when they are transformed by the gospel. That's, that's the issue, mm. main issue. Am I right that you're, that you're really arguing? I know that you're really arguing in the book, right? Yes, yeah, a good, good question. I, I, think, I think what I'm trying to do is to put forth that we, when we talk about the gospel, we have to talk about each of these three realities, uh, vertical, horizontal, and cosmic, because the redemption that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ is, is a redemption for Jews and Gentiles to restore the relationship vertically and to, to restore the brokenness that exists amongst human beings horizontally, mm -hmm. but it's also a redemption that is, is restoring the entire creation. So the individual aspect of this is, of this is, is extremely important. And, and um, the, the reason in which we have, the reason for which we have in part the the, the problems that we do have related to systemic uh, issues mm -hmm. are because of fundamentally sin, but also individual sinners, right, who are, who are operating in ways historically and in the present to, um, to perpetuate the, the power of sin. And so in my, in my redemptive vision, it is to, uh, to seek to make the point that, uh, that individual transformation is absolutely important and foundational that god must make us right with himself through christ and in that uh, reality uh, empowers us by the spirit then to live appropriately uh, amongst fellow human beings and fellow image bearers but then but then also that cosmic piece is very important for my thesis because i'm making the argument that 
that uh, even when you have individuals who are rightly restored in their relationship with God and rightly restored in their relationship with each other and genuinely pursuing love for one another, you still have these, these systemic realities that exist when you have people who have been transformed living within those uh, systemic realities. So then the people of God must take seriously the fact that we have a responsibility to live out our vertical relationship with God, to live out our horizontal relationship with one another, and the power of the Spirit to make sure whenever uh, injustice of any sort raises its head, whenever we have an opportunity to, to be light and darkness, that we, in anything that we can, in the power of the Spirit, we seek to, within the biblical boundaries and biblical parameters and with common grace and common sense, we want to love God and love neighbor well and not turn a blind eye, eye toward, of uh, areas of, 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 of sin that are certainly individual, but also we don't want to turn a blind eye toward areas of sin that exist because of the cosmic power of sin reigning and ruling in ways that um, are, are related to issues related to, to, to structural powers. So for me, however, yes, you're exactly right. Foundationally, my point is, uh, sin and all of its robustness and all of its fullness is the foundational reason for any form of alienation that we have. And, and sin operates at the individual level and operates at, at the structural level. And so then the, the redemption that Jesus Christ has accomplished, it must be vertical, horizontal, and cosmic if there is to be any kind of redemption and hope for the people of God living in a broken world where we are seeking to love God and love neighbor well. And I'm inviting the audience, the reader, to, to lean into that holistic redemption and holistic gospel. That's what it is. It's holistic. It's, it's yeah, it, it includes all of that. And if you, if you take one piece away of that, not, now you're trifling with what redemption really is. is, is am I right? If you take, if you take, if you try to be satisfied with one third of that, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, then, you, then it's not a robust biblical redemption that we're talking about. We're talking about something else. Yeah, yeah, and and I want to you know clarify this point. And I say this in the book, as you recall. I'm not advocating an over-realized eschatology. Right, right. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm arguing for a for an already not yet eschatology. That is, is that God's saving action in Jesus has already broken into this present evil age. It's not yet fully realized, but he has already accomplished it. I mean, Jesus says it is finished. And, and so then one responsibility the people of God have is, is to preach, teach the gospel, call centers to repent, turn from their sin, give their lives to Jesus by faith, believe by faith that God offered Jesus to die for their sins and God raised him from the dead so that they could be saved, that they repent and believe. We call people to the vertical reality of, of giving their lives to Christ, inviting them to receive justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That is foundational. But then secondly, if I'm talking to Christians, then, then, that, then the aspect of the gospel I will emphasize as it relates to how to love one another is the good news that in Christ Jesus, we have the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. And, and because of that, Galatians 3.13, for example, says Jesus died to, uh, to redeem us from the curse of the law, 3.14, so that we would have the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.13 and 14 talk about loving one another. 
and not using our freedom as an occasion for the flesh. And then 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you don't walk in the spirit, 5.21 says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Galatians 5, uh, rather 6, 1, 2, what is it? Uh, 6, 6, 1 and 2 talks about bearing one another's burdens and thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. So, so the good, and, and Galatians 1, 15 and 16 say, Jesus is the good news. So that, that, that in Christ Jesus, the people of God have the spirit. And one aspect of the good news that God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ is that he has given us the indwelling presence and power of the spirit. So as Christians, then we 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 love one another, and we are only able to do that, and we love our neighbors. That's right. Who are not, who are not might not even be Christians. We love them as ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one reason why we are able to do that is because of the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit that God has given to us because of Jesus's wrath-bearing death for our sins, and His victorious resurrection from the dead. But then also, you know, thirdly, Christians, I think, in that holistic gospel understanding, recognize that our ultimate destination is not this world, it's the new heavens and the new earth, that we are heading toward that heavenly city in, in the new Jerusalem, which is a real world, a glorified world, a perfect world with different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations. But in the here and now, we are to live as bright lights in this broken world, loving God, loving neighbor well, uh, as we are signposts of and emblems of that future uh, perfect new heavens and new earth that is yet to come. So in, in my view, that is good news. That is a beautiful, big, holistic redemption that touches every area of our lives and, and, and invites us and demands us to embrace it holistically. Mm, mm. Yeah, that, that is good news. And yeah, it touches every area of our lives I like that because see, it demands it demands that we think and that we act differently, especially when it comes to relationships with one another. Yeah. And so, in in the back of the book, at the very end of the book, I don't want to. I'm trying to talk about this book without, because I don't want to do a book review, right? <laughs> I just want to talk about the book in order to uh, entice some folks to go get it, right? So I don't want to do a full book review, but I do want to talk about one thing you mentioned because. The back of the book, you give practical ways Christians, readers of the book, can take everything you've said, all, the argument that you have made, this, this robust kingdom uh, redemptive diversity, right, and, and put it into, and put feet to it, basically. Mm -hmm. So something that you, that you, you uh, a phrase you kept using. Now, so we'll, we'll let, we'll, yeah, we'll let this cat out the bag, right? Yeah. But a phrase you kept using Matter of fact, I'll just, I'll just read this section, and I'm going to ask you about this phrase. Yeah. Christians must also be rigorous exegetes of both the Bible and our own social locations. Yeah. We must use, and here, here are the phrases, common grace and common sense under the authority of Scripture in our efforts to pursue a biblical and theological vision for redemptive kingdom diversity and the power of the Spirit and in our churches and in society. Yeah. I noticed common grace and common sense uh, over and over and over again, especially in that last section. Mm. What, do you mean, what do you mean by common grace and common sense? And, give, and see if you can, give me an example of each. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, I think one 
uh, example would be that, let me, let me address the piece about exegeting our, our social location. I think everybody knows what I mean when I say exegete the Bible, interpret right. the Bible in its own terms, in its own context, grammatical historical exegesis. But, but exegeting our cultural context, we need to know the communities, uh, the history of the communities in which we live and our own individual histories. And, and no one does that perfectly. I don't claim to be an expert on my own history or on the history of the community in which I live, but knowing a little bit about your own narrative, as well as knowing uh, where you are socially situated in a story that includes you, but is mm -hmm. not fundamentally about you, is helpful for working out redemptive kingdom diversity. So, for example, if you are in a in a context where this and this relates to the issue of common common grace and common sense. If you are in a, in a context where uh, your community in part exists because of overt intentional laws created in the past that forced a certain group of people out uh, of those communities and isolated a large group of, of people in, in other underserviced communities, and, and you're in that social location, you need to, under, you need to ask yourself historical questions why are these communities? Uh, what what is what is a, what are some of the factors for which some of these communities have these uh, shall I say these these uh, different kinds of challenges these uh, underserviced realities? And you know, I talk about, for example, redlining in the book, and I'm not an expert on redlining, but uh, but I think it is helpful to understand that if you are in a in a context where redlining was a historical reality, it will be important to use common sense and the the resources that God puts at your fingertips to understand what redlining is. So, you know, reading people who are economists, for example, and who who have done a lot of work to talk about redlining. And 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 redlining in is complex and very nuanced, but basically when you have uh, large groups of blacks who were kept from having the opportunity to transfer wealth because they could not buy homes and they were isolated in, in certain communities that were, that were stripped of certain services. And, and eventually, as in, in time, uh, those communities were, uh, had another set of challenges that emerged related to education and, and, and health issues and other issues. But even though the laws change eventually and create a, shall I say, an a possibility for for equal opportunity, as some will say, in housing. Even though those laws change, you still have these communities that exist and that were created in part precisely because of these racist right. uh, laws uh, that that uh, were were created to to redline certain communities. So I would argue it will be helpful if you are a Christian, if you are in a church that is that is located socially in a community like that, it will behoove you, yes, certainly to understand how the gospel and how the Bible applies into that social location, but you got to understand that social context a little bit to understand why the community in part is, is the way it is. Now, again, I'd be the first to say there are, this conversation is very complex, but I would argue it does no one any good to ignore these historical realities and not to ask the question, um, what is a factor in into to this reality? And then what are some practical resources at my fingertips that can help me 
uh, understand a little bit better what this has meant historically. So learning a little bit about history, for example, is common, common grace, that you have scholars who've done good work on certain communities uh, that talk about redlining. You know, there's a book that came out uh, a few years ago that outlines this quite strongly called The Color of Law. And it's a systematic sort of analysis of the complexities of racism in different parts of the, of the United States. And so just, just helping yourself educate yourself on these realities can help you be a little bit more careful when you're trying to do uh, ministry or love well uh, communities or people from those communities so, so you can understand a little bit better uh, the, the social location from which they come and, and, and of which you're part. That's one example that I, I would give. Excellent, man. Yeah, that and that that does make sense, right? <laughs> it just makes it makes good sense. Man, you know what? Here's a problem with doing this kind of stuff. Cause you and I could talk all day about this book, about the subject matter, but folks aren't prepared to listen to me and you talk all day about this on this podcast. <laughs> but I do have I do have um, one more question I want to ask you, um, and this will have to do with just you as a writer, mm. you know, um, because not only do I want to encourage uh, folks to, to pick up books and, and, and start and do reading and read more, right? But there might be some authors out there, folks who are thinking about writing and, um, and, and you serve as an encouragement to them. Mm -hmm. So one last question. Mm. What's the best writing advice you've ever gotten? Oh, wow. Man, that's a hard question to... The hardest uh, one, right? <laughs> that's a hard question. I've gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people that I respect. I mean, a lot of people who write academic work as well as people who write uh, more popular work. Um, I suppose, let me say it this way. A, okay. a helpful piece of advice that I've got. There you go. There you go. <laughs> is don't wait for large blocks of time to write. Uh, Try to write on a regular basis, even if it's only for 30 minutes or an hour. Because a little bit of writing adds up to be a lot over time. And if you only, if you only, set aside time to write for when you have large blocks of writing space, then it might be more difficult to be as productive as you could be. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are, and especially if you're, you know, a pastor in ministry, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, one of the pastors at my church, but I'm a, I'm, I'm not the lead pastor. So I have a, I have, I have responsibilities, but I don't have the responsibility of my lead pastor. Thank God. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> And I'm an, but I'm a professor too, so my whole schedule, my whole job creates space for me to write. Mm. But but if you are, especially I think in, in ministry, pastoral ministry, and you and you want to write and and are, are a writer, I think look for those spaces at, as regular rhythms to write, uh, even when you don't have a lot of time to do it. So if you have if you only have thirty minutes to write, then write for thirty minutes a, a day. And I would also say a second piece of advice that's helpful for me is I do absolutely nothing on Saturdays and Sundays mm. as it relates to to writing that that I I I, I love having fun <laughs> with my family <laughs> I love I love I love my work but I also love to play uh, my wife and my son spend a lot of time together 
and we we enjoy all sorts of things together and and that's for me that's important because that reminds me that there are more important things to life than writing mm-hmm. um, and when i then and when but when i do write i tend to enjoy it a little bit more because i'm not consumed with only doing that all the time does that make sense it makes good sense it makes good sense so 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 a couple of things i guess one i think try to build a a rhythm of just writing regularly and be flexible to what that might look like everybody's different but if you only have 30 minutes a day write 30 minutes a day um, and then if you have large blocks of time use that time very wisely don't don't waste it and then I think, secondly, enjoy life, enjoy, enjoy God, enjoy family. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a third thing, Lou, I would say. I would Come say on, this, this is important. This is important. You've got me going here. I, I, cool. I would say don't waste time on, um, don't waste time giving your, your, your time and energy to frivolous and um, futile uh, debates on the Internet. Uh, mm. give your, give your time to don't, don't give your time, uh, to sowing seeds of dissension and, 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 and Twitter wars and those sorts of things. Use that time to, to write, or to pray. Mm. Uh, mm. you know, that, that's important. You know, uh, one of the reasons why, uh, I, I think, you know, the people that I know who write a lot. And I, I mean, there are so many people who write, I can't, who write so much. I'm just like, how do they do that? And, and one of the things I think they do is they use their time very wisely mm. and they don't waste time. And that's important. You know, I mean, we all go through patterns where, you know, we waste time, but, but as a rhythm, you know, if you want to write, writing is the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing I do. It's hard to write. And reading is probably the second hardest in terms of my profession. Sure. Uh, being a parent is, is one of the hardest things I do. Uh, I say that again. <laughs> but, but writing takes up so much time and requires so much energy. And then reading uh, is a part of the writing process. And if you give yourself, if you give your energy to things that are going to just swallow up your energy and 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 kill your soul, like mm. just being um, constantly fighting with people on the internet. I don't think you're going to be very productive as a, as a writer. I don't think. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think, uh, I don't think you will. No, I think that I think uh, I think that advice drivers travels across uh, a lot of life, um, whether you're a writer or not. Um, wasting time on frivolous arguments and debates on the internet, it cramps your creativity in a whole bunch of areas. Hmm. It, it cramps your creativity as a parent. Mm. cramps your creativity as just uh, being a a disciple or a discipler, right? Because you're caught up in foolishness, right? And it cramps your creativity as a pastor. <laughs> I mean, it does. The frivolous arguments, Paul teaches us that, right? Uh, they, are, they, are, they are useless and mm. that we ought to be refraining from that. So that's a good word, man, for writers and for Christians, <laughs> period, yeah. man. It's a and I tell word. you too, bro, you, you know what? I, what's life-giving as well in this, uh, in writing, is that when you do life with people in the church and and you your people see your life and you see their lives and, and, and the, you know that the things that you write are going to, at some level, impact them, mm. then that also is a, is a, uh, is a means of grace to help you 
want to do uh, your work under the Lord in a way that could be helpful to them. That's right. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so that what you're, you're writing, when you're a pastor, I know for me as a pastor, I know every word I put to paper, no matter how uh, boring it might be academically or how uh, spiritually edifying it might be at a popular level, I know that there are people whom I shepherd Right. That that work at some level will impact, and right. and you know one of the most helpful things for me is just to be a writer, as a pastor, because you mm -hmm. just write differently, yeah. you you think differently about what you're saying, when you are a pastor, and you're you're responsible for souls. You know, mm -hmm. I know everybody's not a pastor, so they don't have that that privilege. But I know for me, it's just been helpful to think about my writing not only as a scholar. I'm not a scholar. Who's, who's isolated from the church. I'm a pastor. Sure. I'm a scholar who's also a pastor. And that's that shapes and impacts how I go about my, my writing. Amen. Well, that's a good word. That's a good word, right, folks? From uh, Dr. Jarvis Williams, author, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, Biblical Theology of the People of God. We just gave you a taste of what this book is about. And I trust that what we've given you will encourage you to go out and get your copy Wherever you buy your, your Christian books from, it's out there. I know it is. It's in, every, it's in every place. And so there's no reason that you can't find it. And if you can't, uh, get a hold of the front porch and we'll show you where you can go pick that book up. Brother Dr. Williams, friend, it's been, a, it's been good talking with you here. I'm so glad you, you joined us here on the porch today. Thank you, brother. Always good to, good to see you. With that, folks, uh, we look forward to seeing you and again on the porch sometime soon. Uh, until then, may the Lord bless you real good. We'll talk to you soon.